0: welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Communications and Advocacy with NCBI and today I have the pleasure of having a chat with Robbie Ford who is based in Swords but um, has uh, lots to share about his experiences of working with the ESB and being a motivational speaker and a comedian so I look forward to the chat. Thanks Robbie for joining us.
1: No problem at all, thanks for having me June.
0: Great, great, great. Um, So we'll, we'll begin as I always begin by just asking you to
1: and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself okay um i suppose i had a regular childhood and well first of all i'm 40 years of age believe it or not which is crazy time just goes so quickly but anyway <laughs> it to happens
0: the to the best of us don't worry <laughs> oh, stop, they
1: said life begins at 40. i'm just waiting for you know things to get back into the swing of things again <laughs> hopefully that'll start again but um yeah, no, like background, just had a regular childhood like anybody else. Kicked ball on the street, climbed trees, fell out of trees, did knickknacks in the neighbours' gardens, you know, houses and just any regular kid did, did. And then, you know, same ambitions, just when I get older, get a job and drive a car and, you know, so on. But then um, at the age of 13, I started getting very, very bad headaches. Didn't know why. Went for tests, nothing came of them. And then I started losing my eyesight in my right eye. So my mother brought me straight into the matter to an optician ophthalmologist in there. I was thrilled with the half day off school. It was great. So I didn't know yes. what was, you know to happen. So he checked me out and he said "You gave my parents a letter then to get me straight in for um an MRI, a brain scan. So I was delighted now I was getting the whole day off. Happy days, great.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I had that done and waiting for the results. And my dad was called out by the doctor and he came back in. And he said, Yeah, you have a brain tumor. So that's what happened to the eyesight. It damaged my optical nerve. It was terrifying. Before was the brain tumor, I thought I was I thought I yeah. was going to die, you know. And it was course, benign yeah. thought it wasn't it's cancer, but there's a positive. Still, word it's
0: terrifying I mean, You're a Yeah, oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, I was terrified, absolutely. But there's always a positive where there's a negative, and vice versa. And the positive tune was I was delighted that they found a the brain, so at least I had proof, like you know, <laughs> <Ain't that right. laughs> I, was, I was thrilled with that part, but the rest I was terrified. But yeah, so throughout my team, well, I lost my sight. Then, um, but it was
0: <sighs> did the tumor affect your entire optic nerve out of both eyes? Then,
1: yes, yeah, okay. So I had, like, I still had, it was like a a light frosted window. I didn't need an aid of a a stick or anything like that, you know. I could still read, but, you know, in school I had to sit up closer to the front of the class, which obviously I wasn't too happy about, or close to the blackboard, should I say. Yes. Um, You know, which I wasn't too happy about, but, like, I was still, so I went through school, I did the junior cert, and regular, still regular enough, although I had, the sight didn't bother me because, you know, it didn't didn't impede on my life because I could still do most things like, you know, that I was doing before. And then when I was 16, I collapsed and it turned out that the tiny, tiny, tiny bit, they didn't get it all basically. So the tiny bit that was left, they had to go in and do surgery on that. And they did, so that's when I was 16. That was, when was that? That was May 98th. So then there was complications in August 98th. It collapsed again, so they had to bring me in for more surgery. Then September 98th, same again. And then January ninety nine, again, and I had four operations in one week, all in Mount Hospital. They're amazing in there.
0: That's exhausting though, Jesus.
1: Yeah, so I thought that was the end of it. So January 99, they said, look, there's a tiny, tiny bit left in your head, in your head. Now, I'm talking about the tumour, not my brain, right, to my brain. I, <laughs> I know you
0: verified it. that already now that you're <laughs> oh, really big. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. to reiterate,
1: just in case. <laughs> but I had a very small bit left in my head. Now, I still had, you know, that same amount of sight than when I was 13. And... Basically, I got on with it. I finished school. And then, sorry, I finished school up until January 99. Sorry, I had to leave school then because I'd missed so much. So that's when yeah. I started in the NCBI in September 99. First time I've ever met blind and visually impaired people. I was excited. I was apprehensive. I was curious. I didn't know what to expect. And it really. Pardon the pun, but it really opened my eyes to see. hey, hang on a minute, eyesight. No eyesight, lack of eyesight, little eyesight, whatever it may be, it's not the end of the world. There's things you can do. And other people really in there really taught me that, like, you know.
0: great.
1: So that's. So from there, I went on to college. I did the ECDL, which it was called at the time. Finished that. I was going on to employment. And I collapsed again. That tiny bit of a tumor from January ninety-nine didn't grow. I broke up and went around my head and down my spine. So they had to do radiotherapy.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yep. So um they did that and they said the odds were ten to one that my could be more could become more impaired. And I remember the radium was finished, whatever, I was wearing a cap and I was going for a game of poo with my friend, and I walked down here, and so I across the main road. No aids, as I said, I didn't need them as such. I seen him, the, you know, bit of sight that I had, he came out of the house, said, great, and we're walking down, and I couldn't line up the queue with the white ball. That was the hardest day. Then I realized, oh, my sight's much worse now. So I went from a light frosted window to a very densely frosted window, and that's the way it is now, you know?
0: Okay, okay.
1: So I had to... With the help of family then, and friends, of course, all the way through, I I had to go and do the course all over again, the ECDL. So I did. And I got it and I was delighted with that. And then I was trying to find employment and it was so difficult. Like I wasn't getting anywhere. Am I going to find a job? Do we want to employ someone that's blind? Do they, you know, will I ever get a job? So I just, with the help of others and encouragement, I kept just knocking on that door, and then ESB back in two thousand and six, in conjunction with Ahead, which are inv- they're Ahead or a group? Um, yeah. you know of them, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: they, they kind of really help individuals get get employment if you're employable. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I had a sick. Well, I went for an interview there. I did. I didn't really have much confidence because my confidence was knocked at this stage. I don't think I'm going to get this. And I got a phone call and I did get it. So I was thrilled. So it's six months there. And then I finished up and thought to myself, right, well, where am I going to go now? At least I have the six months experience. And I went off on holidays and I came back and I got a phone call. And from that was in the city centre, the um, head office I was in first. But when I came back from holidays, I got a phone call from Santry, which is just down the road, as you know. So um, for a 12-month contract. So I started there and I was there for, I think it was four months. And again, I came back from holidays, went out on holidays again. It's not as if I had the money to go, but anyway, I was away. (laughs) And I came came back in and I was late. And the manager said, Robbie, can I have a word Can you step into the office? And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, what's this about now? And I thought, half of me was saying, relax, it's your first time being late. And the other half was... (laughs) excuse me was nervous so i remember the manager said he said look robbie there's a lot of people talking about you around the building and i said okay jesus what's this all about he said no you haven't been established anywhere yet because i was only there a few months you know so i wasn't established in any department yeah Yeah. and what were they saying he said basically my hands in front of you so if you want to shake it you're permanent
0: oh fabulous
1: I thought I won the lotto. He was winding me up, you know, obviously, you know, just winding me up about as if I was in trouble, you know.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. But yeah, 15 years later. And are you
0: 16. in uh, a customer service role or are you in, in finance? I, I
1: was in credit control for a long time. So I was helping people pay their bills. And ESB didn't tell me to say that. It's true because, you know, it was all commercial I was dealing with. So I just kind of got to know people. and met rapport with people fairly quickly, you know.
0: Yeah, fair play to you.
1: Even though I was, you know, looking for their money, but they, I was letting them know that, hey, listen, I'm normal as well. I'd be annoyed just as much as you were if, you know, I was in your situation, but let me help you. Yes. So I did that for 10 years. And then the last six years, I'm in an area called quality journey, quality assurance. It's customer journey. So we have to keep an eye on the emails that are coming in, how many, um, you know, what um, complaints are coming in. How long did it take for them to resolve the complaints? Was the customer happy? Then we have to listen into phone calls, then as well. You know, when you ring somewhere up and it says, this call is recorded for training purpose. So we'd have to listen into some of them calls just to make sure um, the agents are doing what they were trying to do, you know? Yes,
0: yes, yes. And nice. that's right. So it's kind of, as you say, it's quality assurance to make sure there's consistency across exactly. uh, all the customer service team. That makes sense. That's exactly um, what it is, yeah. And, Obviously, as an uh, equally important gig in your life is the whole being a motivational speaker and comedian. Tell us a bit about that.
1: The motivational speaking came, that was the first, um, that one that first um, kicked off. I was asked to just get up and share my experience, like what we're doing now. Um, and yeah. in front of a, a group of people down in the Terrace Hotel in Waterford, it was through a union connected to ESB. And um, oh, I was terrified. But I did, and I got up, and I said my piece, and that was it. And then after that, people started contacting me. So it kicked off then. So I started doing the motivation talks in schools, secondary schools mainly, but some companies as well. And it's just promoting positivity. Basically, what I learned from that first day when I started in the NCBI was this isn't the end of the world, you know? Yeah. And the the message I put across, John, is, Everybody has a disability, everybody in the world, because what a disability is, it's something you have, something you cannot do or something you have difficulty doing. So every, you, I, and everybody else in the world has something they can't do or have difficulty doing. So, I mean, if I was to say now to get a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of the page and I gave you five minutes to write on the left-hand side of the page the things you cannot do or have difficulty doing and the right-hand side of the page the things you can do. I can guarantee you you wouldn't even need five minutes to list things you have difficulty doing or cannot do but you'd need endless amount of ink paper and time to list the things you can do. Yeah 100% agree with that
0: definitely.
1: So if we if we look at the word disability it's a 10-letter word 70% of that word is made up of ability. So if we shrink the, the the negative part, which is the D-I-S, but put it to a small D and let's put the ability with a capital A. So it becomes, instead of a disability, it becomes the focus of the right-hand side of the page, which is this ability that we all have.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, yeah. so that's the message I'd give across in the mode. Now, I also include, this is how I suppose got into the comedy as well, I also include um, humour. Keep the kid's attention, you know, and um, so like I bring blindfolds with me as well and white sticks to do a, a practical with them as well. And just to show the kids and the teachers that look, you know, someone that's blind or visually impaired, <laughs> life goes on. So I might ask them to I'd put a chair in the middle of the room and ask them to find a chair and walk around us and explain, well, see, that's how someone that's blind or visually impaired walks down the street, see.
0: You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's all about information sharing, isn't it? And public awareness and Absolute, increase understanding yeah.
1: and empathy. And that—that's my—that's my goal of these um, motivation talks to help the individual, but also to promote that awareness.
0: Mm,
1: definitely you know, about others and about them. So I'd say also, you know, never ever look at somebody else and you know what they can do because you can't. Well, they—you have to remember. There's stuff that they can't do that you can. So don't ever look at what you can't do. Look at what you can do and look at what others can do as well. And do it because you can, you know. But I'd use humour as in, I might say, put it blindfold. Okay, lads, look, I know we're definitely not going to see eye to eye now, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. Just, yes, very much so. you know, it just keeps their attention. And I might say something like, you know, let's okay, you know, let's blindfold the teacher, but... Don't be sticking your foot out now, lads, trying to trip them up, like you know. Just, but no, I'd be in a safe environment. But I'd be, you know, yes. just having to crack with them. I suppose that kind of thing.
0: It just normalises the thing, everything, doesn't it, Robbie? When you just kind of take dilute the intensity out of things. Exactly, um,
1: that's exactly. With a bit of
0: humour and that that kind of stuff is just normalised yes. of things, as it says.
1: Exactly, and, and that's how that's how the comedy came about. I. I was on a night out and a friend of mine had got up. She was playing the guitar and she asked me to go up and sing a song. And I did. And I sang the song Wonderful Tonight Beardy Clapton. And I changed the words in it to, I said, in, in one of the lines in it, and then she asked me, do I look all right? And I said, ah, come on now, love. I've got very little sight. Right. And I was just doing it for the crack. <laughs> so, you know, that was it. And then later on, a guy approached me and said, would you think about doing it? Dude? bit of comedy. I said, will you ever fuck off? I said, I'll well, sing a song, but there's not a hope, I do comedy. So, throughout the year of 2018, I met him three times, and the third time I met him, he said to me again, and I said, to be honest with you, Dave, I said, I will just to shut you up, like, you know, because you keep asking me, great guy out here in SARS, David Gillen, and he's doing very, very well, lightning comedy is his show, and he's a great guy, and I thank him for actually encouraging me to get into comedy, but the Friday the 12th of October 2018, I took to the stage and to say I was terrified is an understatement like you know what oh, what's only oh, you know, just oh. imagine oh well I, I was shaking I couldn't hear anybody laughing because I was more so concentrating what am I saying next what am I saying next but um I was told people were falling around the place laughing so I was thrilled I was on such a high after so I said well, I wouldn't mind doing that again sometime but I didn't think any more of it I liked the motivation talks then my phone started ringing. I ended up supporting and um, doing a few minutes for Jason Bourne the following year. And, oh, um, brilliant. No, I was terrified, Jesus. I was terrified. He's like, you know, but then I just started getting phone calls from different places. I didn't realize there were so many comedy clubs around Ireland. So I've just been traveling around, kind of Ireland down a bit. So I was down with, I was thrilled now, I'm name dropping now, but I never heard of this guy before until I met him Bobby Davro from. Do you know of him, the comedian? I've from
0: definitely heard of
1: him. Definitely heard of him. The that and then yeah. Carl Spain. Well, I oh, was yeah. asked by another great guy, Noel Horace, um, down in Galway. And it's Ireland's biggest comedy festival. I was blown away. You know, I was terrified for this as well. But I met this guy, Bobby Dalbrook, uh, Carl Spain, other comedians as well. And it was just, ah, oh, the comradeship, the encouragement, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was amazing. It was brilliant. So And tell me so
0: have those um, festivals and things like that, have they all recommenced again after COVID? Because they would have you would have had a two year hiatus on the circuit. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, like there's a comedy club in town in the Happening Bridge Inn. Yeah, I've been to
0: like. it a few times. Yeah. A Wednesday
1: night. You've been to it, have you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been to it a uh, few times a few years brilliant,
1: ago. Brilliant. Brilliant. So um, And is
0: the Cat Laughs Festival back on? Cat Labs
1: in Kilkenny, I'm not sure. I haven't heard much of it yet um, and yeah. not yet, you know, but I'm sure it will be. I was down in a club down in um, for a charity event. Down in Newbridge on Sunday.
0: And that was okay, the first okay.
1: gig I've done now in a long time. And it was great just to be back with some of the other comics and, you know, back into a bit of normality, you know, but yeah, there's a yeah. number of places around town and around Ireland, and they're all open back up now, yeah.
0: Which is great, which is great. Um, and is there any kind of particular standout moments for you um, that you've experienced either being a, as a result of being a motivational speaker or a comedian?
1: Well, the motivation speaking... um the moment that stands out, which I was blown away by, was um, I was just walking down the street here in saw down the village one of the days, and two lads came over to me. I said, oh, how's it going, mister? He said, you were a a talk in our school a few years ago. When are you coming back? That was great. I
0: was blown away by that. You know? <laughs> I was it just shows you that it, it, it stuck with them, didn't it? Oh, I was thrilled,
1: yeah. Um, the comedy side of things, yeah, there's a few. Uh, one that comes to mind, and this is down to lack of awareness. This connects directly to lack of awareness. Uh, I What I do is self-deprecation, John. I go on stage with a big pair of shades I bring a guide dog onto the stage with me I don't have a guide dog but he's invisible what I do is what I do is just have a lead and a collar and that's it and I introduce the guide dog to everybody you know and I'll tell him to sit down and stuff like that but it's just um, self deprecation which us Irish are very good at doing you know
0: yes yes very much so yeah so
1: and the whole joke I suppose is like straight at myself you know um you know the poor fella doesn't realize his dogs after running away on him you know but that kind of thing, you know, so yeah. talk about other things, situations that I've gotten myself into due to my blindness. And yeah. um, I speak about them. Now, I'd also point out, um, just going back to the motivational talks, when I'm, I'm having a bit of a laugh with the kids in the school, I'll also point out at the very end that just because I can have a laugh here, lads, you know, at myself, that doesn't mean other people that are visually impaired and blind can do it also because we're all unique, just like all you guys and girls and new teachers, you know? So one moment, anyway, the comedy that sticks out, a woman came up to me after the gig and gave out Sting to me. She said, how dare you get on stage and start taking the mic out of people that are blind? That's an absolute disgrace. How would you like to be blind? That, oh, here we go. So I took the shades off and I looked kind of with little vision as much as I could at her. I said, I am blind. She nearly dropped dead, you know.
0: <laughs> but was it not obvious from your act that you're obviously making reference to yourself?
1: Oh no, but she thought I was joking. She thought I like okay. I was pretending to be blind because I had a white stick in one hand and the guy dog in the other. You know what I mean? It just yeah. she just thought it was it was all an act. Like it was an act yeah. as such, like you know, but and now I said I am blind and she nearly dropped dead. She was apologetic and all. But you see, that brings it back to, that's what I'm saying, the lack of awareness in society. Like, did she think, oh, maybe people that are blind don't do stuff like that? You know, people that are blind, do they stay at home in their houses? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just there's so many small minded people I've come across out there, and not just in comedy, but even on a day to day basis. Yes, yes. You no, know? It, it is
0: true. Um, and it, it's not helped by the fact that, um Having a vision impairment is a low instance disability. So it, and many people don't necessarily look as if they have a vision impairment. Yeah. So, um it, it just adds to people's confusion and, and ignorance about it.
1: Well, I, I do now, like I have to I do have to now since like twenty one when I had the, the radium and that, um I do have to rely I use a OIK oh, now. A long okay. Time. You know, so like it would be obvious, but like Yeah. You know, when I looked at the lady, because I suppose I couldn't catch her eyes straight away, she copped it like she, you know, she knew I was blind when I said it. Like, you know, she believed me and but she nearly dropped out. So that's so that 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 opened her eyes.
0: You know? Very much so. And have you crossed paths with um, Chris McCausland, the, the comic in the UK who's blind?
1: No, I've seen him on TV. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure your paths will cross soon enough. The comedy <laughs> circle isn't probably that small, um, or isn't that bit large, really. So I'm, I'm sure your paths will cross. Yeah,
1: I'm hoping to get over to the maybe the Fringe Festival um, at some stage. Hopefully, okay, yeah.
0: I'll be back
1: down, down in Galway. I've been asked uh, to go back down to Galway now um, next or, this October. So I look forward to that. Great, great. And so
0: Robbie, be just to, before I let you go, um, is. But my final question to you is: um, What one piece of advice would you give another person who's recently been diagnosed with a vision impairment?
1: I would say, sit down and just take a breather and and think about what I you know what I said there earlier on. Okay, there's things you're not going to be able to do anymore. Unfortunately, there's going to be things that you know, you're going to find very difficult to do, not impossible, but difficult to do. But then there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of things that you can do and even more that you've written down on the page. You know, so think about that and look at that right-hand side, you know, of the page and look at the can-do and do it. Because from a personal experience that someone that's been there, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't impossible. And once I got there and I did it, I was really just delighted that, you know, other people within the NCBI that I'd met inspired me to do so. And I did it. And life isn't perfect. I'm still human. I still get down, you know, a day is just, for, just like you do and everybody else. I'm still human. I'll get annoyed about things. And, you know, I bump off something. But, I mean, look at what you can do and just aim at that. And just try and put behind you or put aside the stuff that you can't do or how difficult you doing.
0: Wise words. Yes, very much so. And I suppose if anybody um, wishes to avail of our services, um, as always, feel free to contact our info line 1-800-911-250 or to jump on our website, um, ncbi.ie, uh, and all information about our um, services locations across the country and the services we offer and can support you with are available there. But for now, Robbie, I would just like to say a massive thank you for your time and lovely oh, to have chat Richard. with you. And I and, hope one um, is of
1: use. Thanks. Very
0: much so. Very much so. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, seeing you on the, the comedy circuit. Uh, and hopefully I hope
1: as as might see you on the Heapenny Bridge in some night then, yeah.
0: Exactly, exactly. I'll introduce Thanks. you
1: to, to Max, my guy dog. He won't bite you, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I'll, I'll look forward to that, definitely, Robbie. <laughs> Thank okay. you.
1: Fantastic, Joan. Thanks a million. Take care yeah. now.